Three Dog Thursday on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network presented by MyBookie.ag. The UFC is back on Saturday night and MyBookie has a $49 risk-free bet. And if you use the promo code SGP, you can get $1,000 in bonus bets. That's MyBookie.ag. Use our promo code SGP, MyBookie.ag slash SGP to play, win, and get paid with MyBookie. We're also brought to you in part by the Madden Mayhem Simulation Tournament ongoing right now. We're giving away $10,000 in MyBookie credits to the winners with the best brackets in the Madden Mayhem. Plus, you can bet on all of the games, including live game wagering for these simulations in the Madden Tournament. Get all the info at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Madden. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Madden for more on the Madden Simulation Tournament. We're also brought to you in part by Ace Per Head. Ace is the leader in pay-per-head providers, and they make it super easy to start your own sports book. Plus, Ace is offering up to six weeks free over at aceperhead.com slash SGP. That's aceperhead.com slash SGP. Football fans. It's time to go on the record for this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, TJ Reed. Off and rolling on another edition of the only digital radio show that is typically devoted to those underdogs against the numbers in college and NFL football and even college basketball. We are still rocking along in the month of May without games, without sports. But alas, we do have some hope. We do have some optimism as it looks as though sports is going to begin to slowly resume some normalcy. I hear over the course of the next few weeks and the next couple of months, we know the UFC has a big pay-per-view that will take place without fans in Jacksonville at the arena in North Florida in the state where I reside and do this podcast, be broadcast all over the country, all over the globe uh, for Ultimate Fighting and MMA. We'll talk more with Brian Edwards coming up in a little bit from Vegas Insider and MajorWager.com about that fight card. So the UFC will have not one but three fight cards actually coming in the next couple of weeks. NASCAR will be returning Uh, in a couple of weeks to Darlington. Not this weekend. They always traditionally have taken Mother's Day weekend off. But uh, next weekend, they'll be in Darlington, South Carolina, a traditional place where they have raced for the better part of 70-plus years uh, at one of the smaller tracks. And then they will race a couple of more times with the bigger series. The, um, The Cup Series will race in Charlotte, with two different races, including the Sunday night of Memorial Day weekend, the 600, the Coca-Cola 600 or the Coke Zero 600 or whatever derivative of Coke that now sponsors that race. So we look forward to seeing uh, some NASCAR on the track. We'll eventually get some golf coming in a few weeks with the resumption of the PGA Tour as things are going ahead. And, uh, and there's some interest and excitement in and around the NBA and the NHL resuming. We're going to talk about that here on Three Dog Thursday straight ahead with Brian Edwards. I'm going to give my feelings and get his as well. Should they resume the regular season in the NBA 
and to the lesser extent of the NHL that has fewer regular season games, the NHL has a few less to play per team, would be easier for them to resume than it would be for the NBA. We'll explain it and talk about it with Brian Edwards. Should they shorten some of the playoff series? Should they shorten the number of teams in the NBA in the playoff series to get to the bigger drama faster? Uh, We'll discuss that with Brian here on the program, so I look forward to talking with him. Then, uh, the unfortunate uh, passing of an NFL icon, a legend at 90 years of age, Don Shula, synonymous with not just the Miami Dolphins, but the city of Miami and all of South Florida, revered a longstanding football coaching hero, icon, uh, died at the age of 90 earlier this week, and a former PR director uh, in the National Football League for the Miami Dolphins, as well as the Houston Oilers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's when I got to know Chip Namias back in the 1990s, after he had previously been in Miami with the Dolphins. Uh, Chip uh, has great stories on the Shula legend. You'll want to stay tuned for how Don Shula intersects with another Don, Don Johnson and Miami Vice. Uh, as well as telling a couple of other stories about Dan Marino, a holdout and a famous phone call with Don Shula, uh, that and and a lot more from Chip Namius in the middle of the show. And then T.C. Martin will be here, as I like to say, my initials brother uh, from out on the West Coast. T.C. hosts the T.C. Martin Show five days a week in the afternoons in Las Vegas, also tcmartinshow.com. He's got particular insight on The Last Dance, the NBA Chicago Bulls documentary that's going on. He's regularly had uh, Bill Cartwright, the former uh, big man for those Jordan Pippen teams that won the first set of championships, the three in a row in the early 90s. So TC will be here to talk some about the, uh, the Last Dance documentaries, which have been fantastic, by the way. We'll talk more about that with him coming up and also get TC's thoughts on the resumption of the NBA and might Vegas be a place where it can happen. Uh, We remind you, however you found this show, through the Sports Gambling Podcast uh, website, through their feed, Sports Gambling Podcast Network, a social media link. You can follow me at Buck Sideline Guy. You can follow the show at Three Dog Thursday for all of the insight and the info. So however you found the show, subscribe away on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Spreaker. Subscribe right away. Find the show. Subscribe to the show. It comes automatically to you on Thursday mornings. You'll get the show. You'll get the notification. And again, rate us and review us. It'll move up in those different uh, outlets of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you can find Three Dog Thursday. And we thank you for doing so. All right, a couple of things before we get to the guests uh, here. We don't know uh, when baseball will resume, although the talk now is the target date is July the 1st, that they will have a second spring training. Of course, everything was halted the second week in March during spring training, and baseball's got to figure out How long do we give these guys two weeks, three weeks to ramp up, get back into shape? For pitchers in particularly, it's going to be difficult uh, to get back into throwing shape and game conditions and those kind of things. Uh, You can certainly foresee that at least for the first month of the season, pitchers are not going to be throwing six, seven innings if they were ever throwing six, seven, eight innings in the first place. It's going to be more like four or five innings, three, four, five innings at the beginning for these guys to save their arms. But if the target is correct that it's July the 1st, and we're still talking about uh, roughly, what, uh, 50 days, 55 days from now to July 1st before they're playing, there's no way, there is zero way that you're getting 162 games in, even with playing doubleheaders. 
Now you're talking about you're not going to get 120 games in, like I keep saying on this podcast and other interviews. You're talking about a 100-game schedule. You may even be talking about less than that, depending. You've got to give players days off. Uh, you run out of days again in July and, Oct- and um, August and September. Do you want to play the regular season into October? Uh, we hear that they want the playoffs uh, to expand with longer series. Well, is that going to go into November? And how are you going to play that in freezing cold places with the contending teams, whether you're talking about New York or Detroit or, I mean, pick pick one uh, of the different cities, Boston, that would be cold cities to play in like Philadelphia, like Chicago, and on and on in November. It's a tough task for what Rob Manfred and baseball do. But the thing that has befuddled me is it's taken them this long to right now, the second uh, full week in May, to try to figure out when can we restart. You would have thought they would already have a plan in place and would be doing their spring training later this month and restarting in June when they have more days to work with. But apparently it's not as feasible uh, even if they were going to go do the neutral site thing, like you've heard the theories about going to, to the greater Phoenix area or coming to the Florida uh, spring training, the uh, the Grapefruit League, and using the different spring training facilities, et cetera. And even if you were only doing that for the first month or two of the season to get games in and play continuously, they're not doing that right now. So we'll, we'll wait to see how all of this uh, unfolds for baseball and what they do uh, coming up. Again, I don't understand and I'm not on board with with having all of the travel, the airplanes, the different hotels, not being able to control the environment and going to all the different cities right now, right off the bat. But maybe that will be different by July. That's the other thing that I keep coming back to, folks. I mean, right now we've got Three Dog Thursday going on and it's debuting on May the 7th. I have said consistently, we don't know about May the 21st. We don't know about July, much less do we know about September right now on the debut on May the 7th. And look at how far we have already come in the last two or three weeks of beginning to open some things up and have uh, and have sports leagues begin to resume. And there's all the talk, all the murmuring that college football is going to resume and campuses will open. And a lot of the different college football conferences and programs will begin on a normal schedule to at least hold practice and begin to play games uh, in September. Let, let's see what that looks like. We don't have to decide that right now. That's what was so ludicrous uh, and stupid for Kirk Herbstreet, who I'm calling out and many others have called out, and rightfully so, when he stupidly tweeted on, on March the 27th, that was the day, from what I'm hearing, it doesn't look like that we're going to have a college football season. What, what are you doing? Fear-mongering on March the 27th. Uh, especially as we keep talking about here and the different conversations that I'm having, look at the impact, the successful impact that what we've been through with social distancing, isolating, everybody going indoors for the last eight weeks has basically dulled the spread of the coronavirus nationwide. I get that in New York, in the New York City area, it's worse than where it is most other places. But on the flip side of the coin, most other places look at this and say, why, why are we sitting back and staying closed when it's not a factor in our state? Again, I can only speak to the area where I am. And in the area where I am, there are 2.5 million people in the greater Tampa Bay area in the surrounding counties for Tampa, St. Pete, Clearwater, Sarasota, and the surrounding counties. Over 2.5 million people. And to this moment, 
in the areas where I am, there are still less than 5,000 confirmed all-time cases of the coronavirus. 5,000 out of 2.5 million. And the number of deaths in and around these counties, in and around the Tampa Bay area, is fewer than a couple of hundred deaths. It's not New York. It's not what they're seeing and what they're dealing with in New York. So I totally understand that whether you're talking about Kentucky or whether you're talking about Iowa or Arizona or Ohio, everybody's got to take this Ohio to, to Georgia to Arkansas to South Dakota. Everybody's got to take this state by state and decide what's the best and to get employment back going uh, without crippling uh, maybe permanently, at least for the foreseeable next few years, the middle class in this country, you've got to get back to work and get back to some income being generated. The hundreds of billions of dollars in lost income, which is what you're staring at, hundreds of billions of dollars in lost incomes uh, by the middle class and from the middle class, has wide-reaching effects. So that is a concern uh, as well. And uh, no, no one is being insensitive to the possible spread. Everyone should practice social distancing, good hygiene, listen to what all of the officials are saying, the health officials are saying about the phases in which this is coming back. But the, remember, the premise was all along and still is, you're going inside to flatten the curve. Everybody is giving up their freedom to be able to move around so that we can effectively blunt COVID-19 for 2020 right now in April and into early May. That has happened, folks. Throughout the country, that has happened. And so now it's time to begin to resume. It's reasonable to begin to resume in stages, monitoring all of this. And so I'm for it with uh, with the sports. So we've got different guests that can be coming on. But anyway, baseball, trying to figure it out. I know we got an NFL schedule that's going to be released on Thursday night. You may be listening to us later in the weekend. I don't know the NFL schedule right now. You may know that in terms of the, of the games and the primetime games. Of course, I'm anxious to see where my Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be playing in what order and how many primetime games. The same if you're a Cowboys fan. The same if you're an Eagles fan or the Raiders going into their new stadium. The Rams and the Chargers going into their new stadium in Los Angeles. Uh, on and on. What does the Saints schedule look like? The Packers schedule? The Patriots without Brady? The Dolphins with Tua? Tua, by the way, says that he will take number one instead of number 13 for Dan Marino. So speaking of the conversation we're going to have about Don Shula and Dan Marino later on with Chip Namius, good for Tua on the choice. Don't worry about Marino's retired number. Go make go make it happen with your own number. He says he's going to take number one. Now, part of that is Josh Rosen, the former UCLA quarterback who came to the Dolphins last year. He's got number three. Now, how long does Rosen stick on the roster? Do they keep him as a third quarterback with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua? And might number three be available this fall? Not so fast, my friend, on him being a long-term number one jersey wearer. We'll see on that. But I'm anxious to see the schedule for all these teams and how it lays out. There's a lot of speculation everywhere about the order of the games. When will the game start? And it may be fluid. It, it may have to be delayed. Don't know this for sure. Then again, it may be playing with preseason games in August and the regular season in September. We'll all find out together with the schedule announcement and the subsequent updates. Same rule applies. Why are we going to decide that we can't do something in August, September, or October on May the 7th when this podcast is being released or on May the 17th? Or on May the 31st, we have time.
And we now have time to get to the guests on the program. Brian Edwards will lead us off. Chip Nami is former longtime NFL PR director telling Don Shula and Dolphin stories. And then T.C. Martin out in Vegas talking Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls, Last Dance documentary. And his guest, Bill Cartwright, coming on his show, giving some insight. Lots to get to. Here we go. Customarily, he leads us off. And here he is yet again. We are now eight weeks into practicing all the social distancing, all the isolation, and hopefully we're getting back to some sports uh, here with the social distancing and the isolation soon. We know the UFC is fighting. We know NASCAR is going to be back. We know that golf is coming in June and some other sports as well. And here to stay on top of all of it, as uh, as we've turned into May and May will become June and, and into the summer is Brian Edwards of Vegas Insider and MajorWager.com. Good to have you back on Three Dog Thursday, sir. What's happening, TJ? Good to be back. Uh, so uh, we will get to your thoughts on the UFC uh, first fight card that will be taking place this weekend, one of three fight cards uh, that Dana White and UFC and ESPN and their platforms will be televising because you've got some underdog thoughts, and we've been talking about that over the course of the last few weeks. Before we get there, one thing I'm curious about, first of all, the Last Dance documentary series that is going on right now on ESPN, three years in the making, Brian, of the Chicago Bulls' uh, final season uh, together, essentially with Jordan and Pippen and Phil Jackson Dennis Rodman, Jerry Krause, the late Jerry Krause, all the subplots. Uh, That documentary has gripped a lot of people. I wonder, we haven't talked recently, if we've talked at all, about what you think, about how it's progressing now. Six of the ten episodes in, they're doing two every week. we got two more weekends with four more episodes. What do you think so far? How how riveting is it? What are your impressions? Oh, I've loved it. It's it's been awesome, and it has furthered the reality if in fact that MJ is the goat of basketball history and uh, it's been awesome to um, everything about it man everything about it has been has been awesome uh, enjoyed uh, every, every every day I got no complaints on the whole show I've loved every minute of it well, and, and the insight that you're getting from Jordan at the time and the backstage access of the documentary makers is what is so fantastic because we know and remember a lot of the games and we even know from the outside some of the subplots of Scottie Pippen holding out or, or uh, you know having the knee injury. We know the subplot of Dennis, Dennis Rodman disappearing in the middle of that 97-98 season, but to see the behind-the-scenes of what was going on, that's the hook, right, for this, and that re- it makes reliving it even yeah. better. And it's just so incredible to think about how many of the all-time greats in the history of the NBA have zero rings all because of Michael Jordan, <laughs> Stockton, Malone, Ewing, Oakley, maybe the best pure shooter ever in Reggie Miller. Um, Barkley. uh, Oh, Barkley. Yeah. I mean, just so many people got denied rings all because of MJ. He was just like, no, you're never winning one, ever. I'm winning all of them. (laughs) At least in that time frame. And that might have been the case for Drexler and – it might have been the case for Drexler and Hakeem the Dream also had he not gone on the baseball hiatus. That's right. So, that, And that will also obviously come back up and around here in the last four episodes about him going 
uh, to play baseball in the White Sox organization and being gone essentially for about a year and a half away from the game. So uh, that kind of leads us into the NBA conversation. We're dealing with an unknown. The NBA at the time that we're taping has not announced any formal plans of when they're going to go back. The only thing they are saying is in states that are opening up to allow at least on a limited basis for people to go indoors and be around others, practice social distancing, that some of their facilities will now be open in those states. It's kind of optional. Uh, so they're, they're going to go in stages. It's going to take several weeks for most of the states to give the go-ahead and do this. I wonder what your feeling is because, uh, Brian, right now, most of the teams played somewhere around 64, 65 games when the stop happened the second week in March. March 11th was the last night that games were being played. Two of them were actually canceled that night uh, due to the coronavirus outbreak. So most every team of all the NBA teams has about 17, 18 games left to play. So that is a definite challenge, a definite headache obstacle on do we finish the regular season. I have feelings on this, but I want your feelings first. Do you think the NBA should try to finish the regular season for all the reasons we've heard articulated, or should they just move on and have the postseason over a month's period of time here and settle the 2019-2020 season? What is your opinion? I think you just go ahead and have the postseason, especially looking at the East. I mean, Milwaukee's clear number one. Toronto's six and a half games back for number two, but they're three games ahead of number three, Boston, who is two and a half games ahead of number four, the Heat, who is two games ahead of number five, Pacers. Now, Pacers and Sixers are tied um, uh, at, at five and six, and but I'm sure there's a head-to-head tie. I don't know if they've played three right. times this year or only right. twice or whatever. Maybe there's a head-to-head tiebreaker. Brooklyn's only one half game ahead of Orlando, but Orlando's ahead uh, by five and a half games over the number nine team, the Wizards. So in the East, it works fine. And in the West, it's really just, I mean, the difference between one and two is five and a half games. Now, the Jazz at four or one game ahead of OKC and Houston are tied for fifth. Um, but then Dallas is a clear number seven, 11 games out, or one, or one and a half games back of number six, Houston. And then Memphis is seven games back of Dallas, but um, three and a half games ahead of New Orleans and Portland uh, for that last eight seed. So uh, I think you just go to some tiebreakers with some seeding scenarios, and it's it's pretty simple and straightforward. I think you just go straight to the playoffs. Well, and as much as Wizard fans uh, would say, hey, we, we want the chance to get in on the eighth seed, and, and obviously with Zion and the Pelicans, they would be on the outside looking in right now, uh, tied with Portland, as you mentioned, three and a half games back uh, for the eighth spot that Memphis has. As much as you wouldn't have those teams in it, uh, to to me, you would be taking at least a month to try to figure out how do we play these remaining games. There was roughly a month left in the season uh, to sort all of this out. I'm with you. I think I think you just move on at this point and say the circumstances are unique. It is unlike anything we've ever experienced. Everybody basically played an equitable number of games in the playoff chase here. I mean, for example, Milwaukee played 65 games, but the Lakers topping off the Western Conference only played 63. But it's somewhere around 63, 64, 65 games. Everybody played basically a comparable amount of games. 
Just go ahead and have your postseason. I'm not so sure that you have to necessarily go one through eight either. Uh, and I, I would love to hear it articulated by Adam Silver and, and what his uh, people with the NBA and the television partners, NBC or uh, I'm sorry, ESPN and uh, and ABC and, and Turner TNT, what they have to say about uh, do we need to have seven game series after seven game series even in the opening round? Because, again, you're going to drag probably into about two months of playoffs if you do that. I believe, Brian, what's your thought? If you were to condense maybe the opening round like the old days to best three of five and maybe the first two rounds before you get to the conference finals and the NBA finals to best three of five, it would still be dramatic. It would still be a fair way to decide it, and you could decide it quicker. What are your thoughts on uh, on all of that on my suggestion? Yeah, no, and then even the first round, you could even do just a three-game series. Then the second round, maybe a five-game series, and then the the Eastern and Western Conference Finals and the NBA Finals be seven games. The only Um, danger, can I stop you? The only only danger with that, and the NBA used to do this back in the 70s and the 80s, the best of three playoffs, is if you are immediately resuming with the playoff series, you could have a real chance that a one or two seed gets beaten in two of three games, gets beaten right away in the first game, gets beaten in in two of the first three games. It's much harder to get that third win, I believe, whoever they are. So that's the one argument I would have about best two out of three. I think three out of five is fair. And again, part of my suggestion, nobody's asking me here, Brian, nobody's asking us, but I think this could work. If you're going to a neutral site, you could be playing nonstop and you could basically play without the travel, the best three out of five in the course of about five or six days if you if you wanted to. And it would be a much fairer measure of, okay, if the eight seed wins, it's because they won three times, not twice. And I would be so concerned with that first game. If we're going with no no regular season ramp up to finish the regular season, I would be concerned with the one or the two seed losing that first game and then all the pressures on them. But then again, that's the drama of the playoffs. So that's that's where I went to stop you there on two yeah, out no, of three. That make, that so go ahead. That, well, that makes sense. I, I just, now that you put it like that, that's yeah, I agree. I, I think it should be three out of five, especially if we're all at, at the same venue and there's no home advantage and all that stuff. And by the way, we don't know if that's what the NBA is going to do. One venue, Vegas, we've we've heard talk maybe in Orlando at the Disney Wide World of Sports that's controlled by by uh, ESPN and ABC anyway and Disney. Uh, would, would they go to another neutral site somewhere else? Would they maybe have three neutral sites? We don't know what they're going to do. Uh, I just don't know. I understand the television money, and I understand they want more games. I, I don't know if you're not taking a risk with best of seven, best of seven, best of seven, because that will that will easily take six, seven weeks, and maybe seven, eight weeks to play out, depending on how long the series last to a sixth game, a seventh game, that kind of stuff. And you gotta you gotta also allocate some rest time uh, in between games, a day or two here and there. I think they could get away with shortening it. That's just, I don't think it cheapens it. Brian, do you think it cheapens it in what's already been a crazy situation here to say that we'll still have the play? And I I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to saying, hey, if you want to keep it best of seven series, why not have the top four teams in each conference? One plays four, two plays three. We'll do best of seven in each of those. Again, nobody's sneaking out of that. you got to win four games. We'll play best of seven in all three series, but only take the top four teams. 
do I am I being too unfair to all the other playoff teams and all the other teams that are out there? What do you think? Sort of. I, I think you gotta. I mean, I know obviously the you know the eight seed. You know, a lot of people be like, who cares? And maybe even the seventh seed too. But I mean, think about the great season the Oklahoma City Thunder have had, but they're only the fifth seed. And I think for OKC. To, and, and what's so funny is they were getting ready to play Utah, who they're one game back of for that four seed when they called it off. Right. Um, and, and that pro- prompted the uh, NBA season being suspended. So and, and that would also have the Rockets out as well. Um, and Dallas. I mean, Dallas has had a pretty solid year. And, you know, the 76ers and Pacers would miss out from the East. Um and it's been a struggle for the Sixers, but they still have some of the best players in the league, and you know they could catch fire. So, um, yeah, I, I don't. I just wouldn't want the. I would feel like the fifth and sixth seeds are getting hosed there. Yep. All right. So we'll see what the NBA starts to articulate and how soon they will be back. Baseball is talking about potentially doing a second spring training in June and be back for June the 1st. What's that going to look like? We don't know. Right now at the time we're taping, is it going to be a 100-game season? Is it going to maybe even be less than that before they get to the postseason? We'll see what baseball comes up with uh, as sports resume. Uh, All right. uh, I know the UFC fight cards are going to begin, including this weekend. You've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. You've got a couple of underdogs in particular because it is three dog thursday you can actually wager on ufc and i know you got a couple of fighters that you really uh like for this weekend for ufc 249 that all things being equal it looks like it's going to come off it's going to happen in jacksonville so brian what are you looking at here um so this is just i'll start with the main event uh this is just a small play you're not going to be successful going against tony ferguson in the long run but i'm going to have a small play on Justin Gaethje at plus 160 in the main event. He's won three in a row uh, by first-round knockout. Uh, his only two losses, and he's 21-2 and two overall, 4-2 and two in the UFC. His only two losses in the UFC were absolute wars, and uh, it could have gone either way. He's got seven fight night bonuses and six uh, UFC appearances. So I'm going to go a small play on Gaethje, plus 160. Now, uh, average size play, you know, more so than Justin Gaethje uh, on Dominic Cruz in the co-main event. He's been out for a long time, more than three years, but he's had lengthy absences before, and he's come back successfully. And if we would have said Henry Cejudo would be favored, period, much less a heavy favorite over Dominic Cruz a couple years ago, people would have found that hilarious. And uh, Cruz has only lost once ever at Bantamweight, so I think he's a live dog at plus 200. I'm not against Rosenstrike. Uh, for a small flyer at plus 240 against Francis Ngannou. But my main play on that one is under one and a half rounds. Forgive me here, TJ. It does have a minus 110 price tag. So not a legit dog, but a very (laughs) inexpensive um, price on that total. And then I also think Jeremy Stevens is worth a shot at plus 200 against Calvin Qatar. And uh, there you go. There's four, uh, or I'm sorry, three, healthy underdogs and an under, which is my favorite pick of the whole card in the Ngannou Rosenstrike heavyweight clash. Uh, Rosenstrike 10 and 0, seven first round knockouts. And Francis Ngannou, his last seven wins have come by first round knockout. And his last three, <laughs> none of them have lasted more than 71 seconds. So uh, there you have it with three dogs and an over under, which I like under on Ngannou Rosenstrike. 
he fit it right in on Three Dog Thursday. And you can read more at Vegas Insider and also MajorWager.com on what you like for those ultimate fighting uh, fight cards. W- one this weekend, and then what's the schedule subsequently? Is it two next weekend uh, that Dana White has, or is one of them midweek, or how's he working this? Because I know there's three of them coming in the empty arena in North Florida that the whole country and the whole world will be tuned in watching, right? Yeah, and I'm, I'm so uh, glad you asked because I can sneak in one more underdog for Wednesday's card, May 13th. I like big Ben Rothwell, plus 130 against Ovid St. Preux, the former Tennessee football player who is making his heavyweight debut, moving up from light heavyweight. And he's going to realize real quick that those boys in the heavyweight division, division punch a little harder. And ben <laughs> Rothwell punches as hard as any of them. So they've got a Wednesday card, and then again Saturday, May 16th, Walt the Big Ticket Harris against Alistair Overeem is the main event. Walt the Big Ticket Harris returning for the first time since his stepdaughter was viciously and tragically murdered uh, late last year in the Auburn, Alabama area. So a uh, comeback fight for Walt Harris, and I'm sure he'll be very emotional um, and I bet he's going to get back in the win column. And these will be different because, again, no fans uh, there, but they're having the they're having the fights, they're having the pay per views, uh, and you can get a chance to read more again from Brian on that at MajorWager.com and also the picks and stuff at Vegas Insider as he was just doling those out. Before I let you go, we don't know for sure here. The NFL schedule scheduled to be released. It is Three Dog Thursday on Thursday night, so you're probably hearing us uh, a little later in the weekend. Maybe if you're catching the podcast, you already know the schedule. We don't know the official schedule as of yet. The other thing I'm intrigued by, and we all want to know the answers to, are they releasing dates? That Yes, they may release the slate of games, but are they releasing the dates on when they're going to start? And and are we going to know the Thursday night games? Are we going to know the Monday night games? Or is it simply these are the order of the games for right now, and, and we're waiting to see on when will we be able to say these are the Thursday night games and where, and these are the Monday night games and where. Um, and, and the intent right now, Brian, from the NFL, is they're going to have them in the NFL cities in empty stadiums, although that could change. That could evolve with social distancing where some fans could be there. But I, I just wonder, I'll turn it to you, are you anxious to see the slate of games and what they look like? We at least believe we're going to get the order of who's playing who in their division, out of the division, out of conference games, etc. We're going to get that slate here. Granted, the NFL was <clears throat> excuse me, the NFL was out of season when the global pandemic started, but to their credit, they have not delayed or postponed or, or pushed back anything. They went right into free agency uh, with some criticism from their own people that you know it was going to be a, a, a shoot show, if you will. And uh, <laughs> it wasn't. It, it worked perfect. The draft worked perfect, and I am confident that they will when they make the schedule, they were at the dates and the cities. it'll all be subject to change. But I, if the NFL shown us anything, they're sh- they've shown they're going to try to push through and not have this global pandemic hinder them in any way, shape, or form. I think we'll get the dates, the cities, everything, and obviously it'll all be subject to change. But right now, the NFL proceeds business as usual, 
and hat tip to them for doing so. Yep, we'll see. Uh, again, they may have to delay the start of the season. Will there be a full four preseason games before they do this because of scheduling? All of those things are still to be determined. I keep joking, Brian. Uh, we're taping this in the second week in May. We don't have to solve August, much less September or October in the second week in May. We can continue to go week by week, see what June looks like, and start to figure it out. But I'm with you. Glad to see the NFL back. Plug away one more time because you've got great information all the time. Whenever sports resume, NASCAR resuming here in a couple of weeks. Golf will be back. Uh, we, we hope to see Major League Baseball, the NBA, and NHL playoffs. Tell them more about where they read all your stuff, including the UFC analysis and picks, whatever it is. Plug away, Brian Edwards. Uh, well, VegasInsider.com, you can find my picks, and we are doing pick packages uh, for this for UFC events now. Um, so you can check that out at Vegas Insider, MajorWager.com. You can give us a follow on Twitter if you'd like, at MajorWagerUno, U-N-O. And you can follow me on Twitter at Vegas B. Edwards. And occasionally I have some content on BrianEdwardsSports.com as well. And for picks in the future, Reach out to me on BrianEdwardsSports.com, uh, and I can hook you up some discounts and whatnot on um, pick sales and what uh, pick packages. There you go. So whenever you're looking for the insight on all these selections and the sports cranking back up, we, we know the NBA and the NHL are going to do something, and maybe it's finished the regular season, maybe it's not, but we may get some postseason June, July with the NBA, the NHL, some baseball going on, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We're anxious to watch all of it unfold. Brian, thank you. Love the insight as always on Three Dog Thursday, my friend. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you next week, man. Have a good weekend. Still to come, Chip Namias, former longtime NFL PR director. Uh, with me, he worked uh, for several years with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but before that, longtime PR man with the Miami Dolphins telling some Don Shula stories coming up. So you'll want to be with us for that. Also, T.C. Martin from the T.C. Martin Show in Las Vegas with insight uh, from Bill Cartwright, one of his guests on the show about the Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Chicago Bulls, Phil Jackson, Last Dance documentaries. The, uh, the series that is unfolding already six episodes in with four more to go. TC's got thoughts on that. We'll talk more about the NFL uh, draft and the NFL schedule and all the different stuff. TC will be here on the program. Three Dog Thursday is brought to you in part by MyBookie.ag. All right, I know life with sports is still ongoing, but some of it's about to ramp up, whether it's the UFC fight cards, NASCAR starting up, the golf. We're getting back to some sports and some normalcy, as we've been talking about on the podcast. And right now for this Saturday, grab a risk-free opportunity to bet up to $49 from MyBookie on the UFC fight card that's going on this weekend. So again, check out mybookie.ag and use the promo code SGP and they'll take that promo code and match your deposit up to $1,000. They'll match you halfway up to $1,000. You put in $100, they'll put in $50. You're basically getting free money to play with just by putting money in. So they've got the match that's going on right now. And with my bookie, you bet, you win, and most importantly, you get paid quickly. So take advantage of doing that wagering on the UFC fight card or anything else that's out there now, the coming NASCAR, the golf, anything that's resuming, bet on it with mybookie.ag and the promo code SGP. 
We're also brought to you in part by the Madden Mayhem Simulation Tournament. We're giving away $10,000 in MyBookie credits right now for the best brackets. You can also bet on all of the simulation games, live wagering, prop bets, futures as it all unfolds. Check it out at MyBookie.ag. The games are all on Thursday through Sunday night starting at 5 Pacific, 8 p.m. in the East. Go to SportsGamblingPodcast.com slash Madden to find out all the details. Again, up to $10,000 in my bookie credits are available. You got live wagering on the games, on the simulated games with the NFL teams for the 2020 season. Go to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Madden for all the details. We're also brought to you in part by Ace Per Head. Ace is the leader in pay-per-head providers, and they make it super easy to start your own sports book. Plus, Ace is offering up to six weeks free over at aceperhead.com slash SGP. That's aceperhead.com slash SGP. The dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is T.J. Reeves. Well, as promised, I have been looking forward to sharing some stories and some remembrances of the legendary Miami Dolphins coach Don Shula, who did pass away earlier this week at age 90. Uh, I, I could try to convey what he means to South Florida, but better than me doing that. Let me have somebody who was right there in the middle of it, who's been talking about it uh, now since Don Shula's death and has also been writing about it, a great uh, essential essay, a recap essay that he wrote uh, in the Palm Beach Post um, that is now out there and available. And he's been a, a former longtime uh, PR director in the NFL, now a very successful PR uh, guy in the sports entertainment world. Proud more, though, to call him as a Memphian brother from another mother. Chip Namius here on the Three Dog Thursday podcast with me. Good to have you, sir, under under uh, what, what are sad circumstances with Don Shula's passing, but it's still good to catch up with you and get to reminisce and tell fun stories and have fun. How are you? Good, TJ. How you doing? Of course, it's great to chat with you. You didn't mention, but we, you and I go way back to when I was the PR director for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and. uh and you and I used to work together frequently. Yes, yes, that is correct. And we go back even farther than that because Chiff is a, is a Memphian. I'm a Memphian, and we still love and have great fondness for the old Memphis State Tigers and all the success they would have uh, in basketball throughout the years. So, uh, But again, your connection to Don Shula is what I'm interested in. And uh, why don't you begin at the beginning on, on how you got connected to Coach Shula and the Dolphins uh, kind of wide-eyed in your mid-20s. Well, yeah, I was the, uh, I don't know how many of your, your listeners remember the old North American Soccer League and the original Tampa Bay Rowdies, but I was a PR director for the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, and uh, they were owned by the Robbie family, who also owned the Dolphins. And when I was just short of my 26th birthday, uh, an opening came up as the head of PR for the Dolphins, and Joe Robbie uh, was not known for his uh, wild spending ways, and he thought, what's a really inexpensive way that we can fill the opening for the PR director for the Dolphins? Hey, let's take our soccer PR guy who's young and cheap and move him down there. So they did, and through uh, my big break came from Joe Robbie's cheapness, and I became the 
head of PR of the Miami Dolphins right around 26 years old, which I was green as grass and not really ready for a job like that. And I find myself going overnight from worrying about soccer players and getting PR for soccer to being the PR guy for Don Shula. <laughs> and that was an eye-opener. And, and Coach Shula obviously was known as very tough and very demanding and uh, and could be a hard-ass. And, and here I am, uh, a youngster, uh, as his main guy. So that's where all the fun began. And it began in a time frame where Dan Marino came to the Miami Dolphins and and the Dolphins really enjoyed an early 80s resurgence. Well, actually, just before Marino, that Dolphin team was in the Super Bowl. So uh, I know you've got so many stories. We could go for an hour. We could maybe even go for two hours with the stories. But what was it like uh, as a young PR guy to be around a Super Bowl run as the Dolphins made? And I believe that was the strike shortened year right of 1982 where the Dolphins eventually uh, found their way in the Super Bowl with the Washington Redskins right it absolutely was and that was my first year the 82 season in fact my very first game I came on in in the in the the first game after the strike there were two games played in 82 then the strike and then we came back and that's when I started that first game after the strike and that first game my first game happened to be a Monday night game in Tampa. Uh, so, uh, you know, I hadn't barely been to an NFL game before, and now I'm going to one in Tampa to be the PR director of the Dolphins. And uh, I'm finding about finding out on the plane from Miami to Tampa that there's a thing called the production meeting that I'll have to attend on Monday morning uh, to meet with Howard Cosell and Frank Gifford and <laughs> Dandy Don Meredith and the whole Monday night gang. And uh, and that was my baptism uh, into fire. But that that season was a, an, an interesting season, obviously, because we only played nine games. And uh, and and yes, we made the playoff run with uh, made the Super Bowl with at the time the youngest quarterback to ever start a Super Bowl, David Woodley. Yeah, and the and the uh, the NFL playoffs were expanded. I think you had to win three games, right, to be able to get into the Super Bowl because the the field, the pool of teams was much different. Um, and then the Redskins eventually won that championship. But it was a time of resurgence in Miami because Don Shula and the Dolphins had been so great in the 70s, including the perfect season in the World Championship. But this was the time, and then, of course, Marino would come right after that, when in South Florida, they, they became, Shula became, Marino became, the Dolphins became the biggest of big deals, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it was interesting after we went to that Super Bowl uh, 17 with the 82 season, uh, with the 82 team, with David Woodley, at quarterback, and then you come back to the next year's draft. I mean, how many teams, uh, we drafted Marino in 83 in the first round, how many teams coming off of the Super Bowl with the youngest starting quarterback to ever start a Super Bowl would even be looking or thinking about drafting a quarterback the following year. You know, you would think, geez, we're, we're all set. We got a 25-year-old guy that just took us to the Super Bowl. Nice. You're drafting a quarterback the next year. But Coach Shula was uh, adamant during that draft as Marino kept falling further and further down, the reasons which were that there had been rumors during his less-than-sterling senior season at Pitt that there were there were drug rumors, which proved to be unfounded. But that's why he kept tumbling down the first round. And Miami went into that draft saying, we're going to draft defense. We need help on the defensive line. 
And when Marino kept kept falling, he told his player personnel people in the draft room, if, if this guy falls to our pick, we're taking him. And uh, that was not the uh, majority rule, majority opinion in the draft room, but there was one voice that <laughs> trumped everybody else, and that voice <laughs> said, we're taking Marino if he falls to us. And, of course, we did. And like so many times, uh, Don Shula was right, was smart, was on it. Uh, and one of the things that I have constantly talked about, you and I were joking before I recorded the uh, hit the record button. Uh, you said to me, hey, what about the days when you were always doing five day a week sports radio? And, and when you're filling up the hours, three hour show, four hour show, you often have topics, especially in the off season. And one of the things uh, that I always used to stress, especially earlier in my career, what did I know? Again, uh, you know, opinions, <laughs> opinions vary. Uh, what's the Dick Vitale uh, line? Uh, opinions are like noses and I got two of them. But uh, I mean, everybody had their opinion about best coaching jobs or best coaches. I've always felt that the coaches that could adapt and adjust and demonstrate how they adapted and adjusted are the ones to be given the most credit, and they lasted the longest. And Don Shula used to play straight-ahead, smash-mouth, run-it-with-Larry Zonka and Jim Kick, defensive, ugly uh, ugly scores, low-scoring game football. But he adapted and adjusted in this time period, Chip, with Marino into the most prolific passing offense that anybody really had ever seen, at least in the modern NFL. They used to throw the football a bunch in the 50s and the 60s, but certainly not in the modern NFL. They, they were at least a decade or more ahead of their time in 1984, and Shula was willing to adapt when he got Marino because he saw what he had, and he saw how the passing game could trump everything else, right? Absolutely, and, and what you just described was the genesis of Bum Phillips's very famous comment when he said about Don Shula, he can take his and beat urine and take urine and beat his and uh, because of his, his adaptability. And it's funny when you mentioned sports radio, <clears throat> you also have to remember that at this time that we're talking about, there really was no, really wasn't any sports radio. There were maybe one or two shows around the country. ESPN was one or two years old. Uh, Don Shula at that time, I remember sitting in his office and Chris Berman came down to, to uh, cover the Dolphins for the first time, explaining to Don Shula what ESPN was and who Chris Berman was. <laughs> and Chris Berman at the time was, was totally unknown, and ESPN was totally unknown. Nobody really knew what it was. And, uh, I mean, that's how far back we're going. It seems unthinkable in, in today's world. Yeah, no doubt. So, uh, all right, a couple of a couple of things. And again, I don't want to trump uh, what you wrote in your first person essay, your account of, of remembrances of Don Shula. People can go to the Palm Beach Post and read that uh, and, and see all the stories in full, except I want to cherry pick from a couple of them. One of them, and I'm such a fan of the 1980s show Miami Vice. You and I are contemporaries. We're the same age. If you grew up in the 80s, if you were a teenager, if even if you were a young adult, you gravitated to that show. Such a popular show with Don Johnson, Philip Michael Thomas, and all the actors and actresses that were on Miami Vice. And so the fame of that show intersected with the success of the Dolphins and with Don Johnson and the other Don, Don Shula, that we're talking about and remembering Pick up the story for us on the podcast, Chip Namius, about how all of that came about, them meeting, and the humor with it. Well, obviously, as you touched on, Miami Vice was, was just the biggest thing going. It was influencing fashion. It was influencing the way the city of Miami was seen on an international basis. It was the biggest show on television. 
and uh, the city was just electric with the, what it was filming down there, and it was just a big deal. And uh, our equipment manager at the time, Bobby Monica, had, had weaseled his way into a cameo as a bartender on one of the episodes and got to be friendly with Don Johnson, the star. And Don was a big uh, football fan and a big Dolphins and Don Shula fan, and he wanted to come to a game. So our equipment manager got him some really prime tickets for a game. And before the game, it was a Monday night game. Uh, the equipment manager asked me if it would be possible to introduce Don Johnson to Don Shula after the game in the locker room. And I said, if we win, absolutely. If we, if we lose, no chance. <laughs> and so uh, after the game was over, we did win. And the locker room was really crowded. And Coach Shula's doing his media post-game stuff. And I see our equipment guy across the room, and he's got Don Johnson. And he's waving at me. And I said, okay, hold on, we'll do it. So when Coach finishes media stuff, I walked him over, and uh, we got over there with Don Johnson, and I said, uh, Coach, this is Don Johnson from Miami Vice. And they shook hands, and Coach says, you guys do a hell of a job, a hell of a job, because Coach Shula had no clue who Don Johnson was. He was totally always unaware of any pop culture (laughs) stuff outside of football. So this was something way beyond him, and he, he thought he was an actual Miami Vice police officer, and he's patting him on the back saying, you guys do a hell of a job, and Don Johnson is completely unaware that Don Shula doesn't know who he is, and Don Johnson replies back, Coach, I'd like to personally invite you to come down and watch us shoot sometime. And Coach Shula goes, <laughs> no, no, that's too dangerous for me. Uh... Because, again, he thought bullets were going to be flying, so... Uh, it was it was pretty funny and has become a pretty well-known anecdote that emphasizes that Coach Shula was just not a guy who thought about anything but football and family. The one thing that I've never heard on the follow-up, I've heard you tell that story, I've heard it kind of been told by, by others. Did you ever let Don Johnson in on it in that moment or a little after or Don Shula or did you just let it be at the end of the day after that conversation? We just we, we just went went like the Beatles and let it be. Uh, <laughs> that, that was it. Uh, the stardom in and around Marino and in and around Shula and going to a Super Bowl in in eighty four. What what do you remember? What was that like, Chip Namius, for our audience here? What it had to be cool. Well, it was. I mean, you got to remember Marino. His his first year, uh, he didn't play at all. Uh, the, the first four or five games. In fact, he was third on the depth chart. It was David Woodley was a starter. Don Strock was the backup, and Marino was third. And he was, you know, this ballyhooed first round pick. And I remember feeling sorry for him. We'd be, you know, during the week at practice or after games. Nobody media wise ever went over and talked to him because he he never played. He was just a guy. And I remember distinctly a couple of times during training camp and during the season where I'd ask a couple of media people as a favor, hey, could you go over and talk to Marino? And, you know, because I felt bad for him. Nobody media wise ever chatted with him. And then, uh, you know, we had a game where, where Coach Shula put him into the game and uh, it kind of exploded. And then suddenly he became the starter and all hell broke loose. You know, he, the media request, the national media, traveling to Miami to, to want to talk to Danny and uh, the commercials. And I mean, it literally was, a, he was an overnight sensation. And back then the dolphins uh, had the worst practice facility in the NFL. They practiced at a, a college known as Biscayne college. It's now called St. Thomas university. And it was, if, if you could have seen the, the 
it made one Buccaneer place of your your old era <laughs> look like a palace. I mean, this was really a dump. And, uh, you know, we, we'd have nowhere to have the national media talk to Marino, so we'd take him over to the university's swimming pool and have him sit by the pool and talk to these guys because <laughs> there wasn't room in the locker room and we didn't even have an indoor weight room. But uh, the whole thing happened overnight and, and very quickly, and, 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 of course, that led into the incredible 84 season, uh, you know, where he just shattered every record for yards and touchdowns and took us to that Super Bowl. Yeah, and so on that point, so I grew up, I, I don't know that you and I ever covered this. I mentioned this from time to time. I grew up rooting for the Dallas Cowboys originally because when you're a kid living in Tennessee, as I was, you gravitate to whatever team, and the Cowboys were a popular national team. My family then moved to Dallas for a couple of years because my father was in seminary school, uh, becoming a Baptist minister, Baptist preacher, and so you automatically had to become a Cowboys fan at that point. So the fi- you know where I'm going with this. The final game of that 84 season is Cowboys and Dolphins on Monday Night Football. I know I'm putting a smile on your face even though I can't see you because not only did the Dolphins win to cap off the season, but there was one broken record after another, whether it was a Miami Dolphin record or an NFL record. They kept stopping the game or at least having a PA announcement about every five minutes on Marino breaking a record, a receiver like Mark Duper or Mark Clayton breaking a record, this record, that record, over it was incredible. Um, and when you go, and that's actually on YouTube, you can go back and watch some of that game and and watch the records being broken over and over and over again for passing in the NFL. Uh, that that night, uh, you know, has to stick out as far as regular season games go and Monday night games go with all the records falling, right, Chip? Well, it does, but uh, it, it, to be honest, it, it probably pales in comparison to, I mean, Coach Shule always, when asked what was his most memorable, you know, non-Super Bowl game of his career, and what many people still consider to be the greatest, most electric uh, regular season football, NFL football game in history, it, it was the Monday night game the next year, the 85 season, yeah. when the undefeated 12-0 and Chicago Bears came into the Orange Bowl to play the Dolphins. And as everybody knows, Don Shula was very protective of the 72 team being the only undefeated team in league history. And here came the Chicago Bears for a late season game when it appeared that they were going to match the Dolphins uh, for undefeated and maybe even better them because it was a 16-game season as opposed to the 14 games in 72. And that that Monday night game against the Bears in 85, which I just went on, somebody posted on YouTube a broadcast-quality version of that game with mm. all the commercials cut out. Mm-hmm. So it comes in at about two hours and 20 minutes and the night that Coach died. I went on and watched the entire game because we've always talked about that that was the most electrically charged atmosphere ever for a football game and i've been to 37 super bowls and and this was more electric than that and and i've heard people say the only the only thing that matched it was a muhammad ali heavyweight championship fight it was that electric at that game it was incredible and uh and the happiest i've ever seen coach shula was in the locker room after that game when with a bunch of members of the 72 dolphin team on the sidelines cheering them on the uh, the '85 Dolphins crushed those undefeated Bears, 38-24, and it wasn't as close as that, and uh, and secured the '72 team as the still only undefeated team. 
Uh, Chip Namius relating some stories here with me on the Three Dog Thursday podcast about Don Shula, what a life, what a legacy, the all-time winningest coach, again, as, as beloved as any a sports figure as you could ever imagine in South Florida in Miami. Uh, even even in his latter years, over the course of the last twenty plus years, when he hadn't he had long not coached a game, still beloved, uh, iconically. Um, you you wanted to relate a story, and this is again not in your essay that you did, but of all your stories, relate a story about Marino and a holdout. I was not aware of this. Marino holding out, and you got a phone call. Uh, tell me more. Yeah, and the so Danny had the great '84 season, and then he comes in. He was still under his rookie contract, and he comes in '85 and trying to renegotiate, which Joe Robbie didn't usually renegotiate ongoing contracts. So Dan ended up walking out of camp in uh, in '85 and was a holdout during training camp. And this is before the era of, of cell phones or anything like that. And we had a rare day off during training camp on a Saturday, and I was at home. Uh, in Fort Lauderdale and my phone rang and I picked it up and I said, hello. And the voice said, Chip. And I said, uh, yeah. And the voice said, Don. And I said, Don who? And he just screamed and I can't say the words he screamed, you know, Ethan Shula, that's who. And I was so taken aback because Don Shula had never called me at home and he'd certainly never referred to himself in speaking to me as Don. <laughs> so just the one word chip Don threw me off and uh, and he let me know who he who was calling. The days before you know, caller I, I, I ID. I want to throw in yes. one other quick story here, TJ, that we, we hadn't talked about, but you were talking about coaches adaptability. Yeah. And it wasn't just his adaptability on the field. He was adaptable off the field. And I'm going to give you a, a quick anecdote. There was a, a tight end before my time during the Super Bowl years named Mark Fleming, who was an all-pro. And uh, during an offseason after Super Bowl, uh, Mark Fleming um, got his ear pierced. And this was way before the era of anybody having piercings or a guy with pierced ear. That just that wasn't done in the 70s. And so Marv had an ear pierced during the offseason. He was a Hollywood kind of guy. And he saw some of his teammates during the offseason, and they were telling him, man, Shula's going to go crazy when he sees that. Man, he's going to be upset. And, and so Marv Fleming got, started getting all worried about what Coach was going to say about his pierced ear. and Would he get cut, or what was re- Shula's reaction going to be? So he decided to be proactive about it so that on the day that he arrived at camp to report – he decided to march right into Coach Shula's office and, and, and expose the pierced ear. So he walks into Shula's office. He says hello. He plants himself in the chair in front of Shula's desk, and he turns his head from side to side in front of Shula. And he says, Coach, uh, you notice anything different about me? And uh, Shula looks at him. He goes, yeah, you forgot to pierce your other ear. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> the the only so, uh, the, yeah the only the only thing I can think of is that is the late George Steinbrenner was kind of the same way right with facial hair tattoos long hair all it was it's a different time that we're talking about right uh, yeah absolutely but he could you know he he learned to he learned to uh, to roll with the punches. 
no doubt uh, about that. So I, d- I didn't mean to sidetrack you as well. So Shula was calling looking for Marino during the holdout, I would assume, or for an update about this. And part of the story is this is pre-internet, like pre-cell phones. He's trying to figure out where his star quarterback went. That's the genesis of, of the, hey, Chip, it's Don exchange, right? Yeah, he was just calling. I don't even remember what he was calling about. <laughs> the other thing trumped it, but he was just, you know, checking in to see, you know, we were talking about probably what, you know, what was going on with Dan and his holdout. But uh, just getting a phone call from Don Shula was not something that was expected. Uh, uh, no doubt. All right. A few more, a few more moments uh, left here. You've done a great job, obviously, of articulating uh, what he meant to you. But to hear all of the players across the board uh, come forward and 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 throughout the years talk about what he meant to them. I, I I'm hard pressed to find another coach. There are some, I'm sure, if we go down. But I mean, there are a ton of former Dolphins that just swear by having been around the legend that is Don Shula. Well, there's no question about that, and 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 it's not in retrospect. I think they all knew it at the time, and and certainly. In the, in the immediate aftermath of their careers. But, you know, I've heard so many, been around sports a long time, and I've heard so many coaches say, you know, they may not admit it publicly, and some may admit it publicly, but to them, the, the biggest compliment that can ever be paid to them as a coach is if years later their former players still want to be in their lives. And, and that's what's the most meaningful to a coach when his old players – still want to come around or still want to call and, and still want to have a relationship to, to a coach. That means, you know, I done good that these guys still want to be a part of my life. And certainly throughout coach Shula's retirement years, uh, he was in contact with so many of his former players. And, uh, and I know that was important to him. Mm, no doubt. All right. So quick, fun one uh, from me that relates. And again, I'm, I'm pushing people to read uh, Chip's uh, piece that's in the Palm Beach Post in the newspaper online, uh, a first person account with the stories and the anecdotes. And one of those stories involves his son, Mike, uh, who had quarterbacked at Alabama and an Alabama game. And I won't go any further other than teasing. You need to read the story about trying to get the score of the Alabama Tennessee game for Don Shula. So after his his playing career in college and briefly in the NFL, uh, Mike Shula became an offensive coach and eventually an offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who you know and the audience obviously knows that I'm associated with. So this is before I'm on the game broadcast. I'm actually working in local radio, doing sports radio like we joked about. And the Buccaneers of 97 had turned their fortunes around from all the losing, 14 previous losing seasons, and had turned things around. And so, as you mentioned, a Monday night game that you worked as your first game with Dolphins and Bucks. This was a Sunday night game with the, with the Buccaneers looking to remain undefeated at the beginning of the season. They had beaten uh, Steve Young, Jerry Rice, and the San Francisco 49ers in game one. They were still trying to stay undefeated. This was a Sunday night pre-planned game. The old Turner uh, TNT crew was doing this, not the ESPN Sunday night crew. But they were showing it all over the country. Well, in any event, the game was a very competitive game. Marino playing for the Dolphins. Don Shula only a couple of years removed from being the coach of the Dolphins. Uh, And the Bucs end up winning Chip. Uh, You know, defense was part of it. But a key moment was a screen pass that Trent Dilfer had thrown with two or three Dolphins bearing down on him. 
uh, threw the screen pass to Warwick Dunn, who caught it. Dunn had a blocker or two in front of him, and he was gone. He was gone 50 or 60 yards for a touchdown off a screen pass. So obviously... After the game, there's euphoria for the win, but everybody wants to talk about the screen pass and the play that Mike Shula had pulled out there, the call that he had made. So we get done with all of this, and not far from the old Buccaneer locker room in the tunnel at the old Tampa Stadium, Don Shula was outside the locker room, and there were several people around him and a couple of them with microphones, and I was standing there with a microphone as well. And and it was just, it, it was fun to be around it, but it was also interesting because he was conflicted, Chip, in that moment. He is dolphin through and through. He's the, he's the recent coach, even a couple of years earlier, and he was almost seemingly mad that Miami was not ready for that screen pass, even though his son had called the screen pass as the offensive coordinator for the Buccaneers. Talk about ultimate conflict. So I just, I remember that moment that's now what some 20 23 years ago uh, of, of Don Shula after that game. Happy for Mike, yes, but still angry that the Dolphins weren't there in the key moment on defense uh, for the screen pass in that instance. So I just I thought I would throw that in as another story about Don Shula. Well, he was nothing, he was nothing if not competitive at all times. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt uh, about that. Hey, one more before you go. There, you know, there's a Don Shula uh, Expressway, right? There's there's all these different re- remembrances. You can't go anywhere in Miami and not see the iconic uh, Don Shula likeness on places, the steakhouse, etc. The legacy is definitely there. I I wonder if maybe like they do in colleges, if it won't become Don Shula Field at some point in Miami as part of the legacy. Maybe not. But I, I just wonder because his legacy does exist in many in many forms right now, Chip. Well, you know, two things on that. A lot of people forget that when Coach Shula came to the Dolphins, obviously they they were only about a three or four year old team, and they had had zero success. And you know, he came into a South Florida sports environment that was pretty barren. There were no Marlins or Panthers or. Uh, you know, there was no any other sport in, in town. Miami and Heat, University right. of Miami football wasn't wasn't good, and University of Miami basketball was on a multi-decade hiatus uh, and didn't exist. So the Dolphins were really the only thing in town, and they sucked. And so he came in and, and turned this into a sports town. And you know, any Mount Rushmore of South Florida sports really only has one one sculptor on it, and that's of Don Shula, because he put South Florida sports on the map. There were no South Florida sports before Don Shula. And, you know, when people talk about the longevity of his career as the all-time winningest coach in the history of the NFL, which we hadn't mentioned, um, there, this is a guy whose career spanned, he coached against George Hallis, and he coached against Bill Belichick. And, uh, you know, he had a, a just a, a remarkable career, and I've Heard a couple of people, I hadn't thought about this, but I heard some people talk about yesterday. Actually, I think it was Mike Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser on PTI on ESPN talking about, you know, usually when a, a respected figure or player executive for a team passes away, they'll wear a sticker on the helmet for that season or a patch. And Tony and Wilbon said, you know, the Dolphins should put something on their uniform to honor Don Shula in perpetuity not just for the 2020 season, which we hope gets played, but in perpetuity, like I believe the Bears always wear a patch uh, on their uniforms for George Hallis right. and always have since his passing. And that Shula is worthy of having some kind of uniform decoration 
for the Dolphins forever. And, and I would agree with that. Synonymous with the Dolphins, there's no doubt. And you and you mentioned uh, Hallis and, and all the way forward to Belichick, and then you got like Noel and Landry and Walsh and all those guys in between that he went head-to-head with. Uh, truly an icon. Sad, sad for his family, sad for Dolphin fans, but uh, I love the remembrances and the stories. And Chip Namius, thank you for sharing those with me. I again push people to uh, the Palm Beach Post, their website, and the essay that you did there. What else can we promote uh, from your PR standpoint? Because I know you work with a lot of athletes, a lot of entertainers with your PR uh, business, in, in particular in and around movies and those kind of things, whenever there's movies and movie stars and sports figures that are in movies. Uh, anything else that we can plug away on your behalf, sir? No, I'm going to just leave this talking about the great Don Shula. I wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to cross promote anything when we're talking about the, the great man. You guys at Miami Vice, you do a super job. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> with that, love the stories. I appreciate it. Chip Namius, thank you for hanging out here on the podcast, and reminiscing about the coach, the winningest coach in the NFL and its history, Don Shula. Thank you, sir. Thanks, TJ. Always good to be with you. He is here to close things out with me. I always jokingly refer to him as initials brother from another mother. T.C. Martin of the self-professed T.C. Martin Show in Las Vegas five days a week on in the afternoons. Also available tcmartinshow.com online as well. How have you been? It's good to catch up with you. Uh, Social distancing, isolation. We're starting to resume a little bit of of uh of phase one of opening things back up so how are things in your world tc it's uh it's great uh, good to be with you tj uh social distancing in effect no question about it is driving me crazy though <laughs> let's go give me some sports i can only be so patient my man you know what i mean i know we were talking big time box we, uh, yeah baseball. something Give me the NBA, okay. the NHL. We're going crazy in Vegas. We're shut down. It's a ghost town. Okay, I got to stop. I know. We we were joking earlier about the about the Korean baseball league. We were jo- we were joking uh, about uh, all these different events that are going on. I can't get into the Korean baseball league any more than I would get into a basketball league in Spain or a soccer league in Argentina. I just I just can't. Are you? I, I know it's a different uh, time zone for you, so it's like late night. It's middle of the night Eastern time. Are you? Are you like dabbling in this? Please don't tell me you're gambling on it. Are you? Da- are you dabbling a little bit in the Korean baseball that ESPN so is showing? Funny you. It's so funny you bring that up because I tried to watch a little bit of it. Uh, I watched the Bubble Boy, not the Bubble Boy from Seinfeld the other night, roll out the uh, the first pitch of the the KBO. Uh, which I really didn't know what the O stood for for quite a while, but I guess it is another boxing organization. Yes, the <laughs> Korean baseball organization. But my good friend and dear regular on my show, one of the most astute handicappers in all of the world, Scott Spritzer, is handicapping this. He came on my show earlier today and talked about it. This guy is taking this thing so serious. He's got the starting rotations. He's got the names of the teams. I've tried to keep up. <laughs> yes, but people are betting on this, believe it or not. And he was telling me the lines are moving like crazy. Uh, uh, one team will open up like a minus dollar forty favorite, and it'll, it'll flip to one sixty the other way. It's crazy. Wow. So the the live betting is they're also there everywhere. My yeah, friend. they're looking yeah. for anything and everything. I know. I know the horse racing betting has gone crazy because that still has remained intact at a lot of different tracks. 
Uh, and, and now we're going to sl- slowly start to see sports. These UFC fights, we were talking about this earlier uh, on the podcast, NASCAR resuming, PGA Tour. And then I want to come back to you because I know you're a big NBA guy. There have been rumors that maybe they're going to restart things potentially in Las Vegas if they resume the NBA. Um so I, w- I was sharing earlier what my feelings are. I'd love to have your feelings. Do you believe the NBA needs to resume the regular season, which again would take them several weeks, if not a month, five weeks or something to finish the regular season? Or do you think they should just lock in with the eight teams in each conference and wish the ones that barely missed out well for next year and just go ahead and start the playoffs? What do you What do you think? hundred percent on the train of let's get right to the playoffs. And I've talked to a couple former NBA players as well, too, and they feel the exact same way. There is no reason to give us a extended training camp and then give us, you know, the last, uh, whatever, 10 games of, of a regular NBA season, especially when they're going to be so meaningless, you know, uh, you know, meaningless games. And here's the thing. If, if we've played, you know, close to, uh, you know, 75 games, 78 games, whatever. They played, is, we were sharing it earlier. They've played, they've played roughly 63 to 65 games, depending on who you are. So there's roughly 17, 18 games to make up for every team. Yeah. So you're literally talking about, by, by doing the math, over 300 more games you would have to play with, with trying to figure out the playoff seating. It is not simple. It is not something that can happen in just a couple of weeks. That's the point, TC, right? I, I will equate this to baseball, TJ. You'll know what I'm talking about here, except maybe you don't because you live in Tampa Bay and that orange juice box where you guys play in front of 5,000 people. <laughs> it's like a rain delay, okay? It's a rain delay. We're past the fifth inning now, okay? You jump out and you get ahead. You're ahead 7-2, to two, game, set, match. The rain's coming on. Let's save it for another day. That's how we should treat the NBA. If right. you've played 63 games, that's where we're going to go. And if you're a couple games out of the playoff picture, wrap it up, pack it up, and take it home and work on it and, and come back next year. And guess what? You've already done that. So, no, it's just let's get right to the bonus round, okay? Forget the preliminary stuff, Drew Carey, Bob Barker, whatever. Let's get right to the showcase. Let's do it. <laughs> He's going and shorten the showcase. I don't need the, the I don't need the do, 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 and spin the wheel. Let's just take the top two and let's go. Um, so on the shorten the showcase metaphor of the price is right, my friend, the actual retail price. I have said earlier, I don't know that you have to play. Well, I don't know that you have to play best of seven in every round. I could, I could go for the first couple of rounds, as I've said, being best of five. Is that foreign? Am I wrong there? I know TV wants the extra playoff games, the extra money. What does TC Martin of the TC Martin show say? Could you live with best of five in the opening round or maybe even the conference semifinals to get us to the conference finals and the NBA finals and best of seven quicker? Yeah, I think we go best of five. We go best of five for the first round. You can almost make a case maybe we go the next round best of five, but I, I don't think we're going to see that. And I know that the NBA is going to hold out to do best of seven you know, series all the way through, but I think we have to go best of five. We have to at this point in time because as the clock is ticking here, and it's just not the NBA, it's the NHL as well too, I mean, you are losing days and you're losing momentum and now you're affecting – what's going to happen next season. Your offseason sure. virtually is gone. And do we really want to see the NBA finals 
at the end of July and seeping into August? And I, and I say the answer is no. And, I, and, and this is sad. As much as we love sports and we love the NBA and the NHL, I think fans now, they've already turned the page. Everyone here is looking more towards baseball and looking towards football. And since football isn't really threatened right now, at least the, the NFL side isn't, you know, we've had the draft. You know, now we've got the schedule special that ESPN is doing. I mean, everyone is gearing up towards that. And I'm, I'm sad to say, I think that basketball and hockey have, have, have flown by the wayside, so to speak. And it's sad. So I think the only way to recapture the fans and recapture the momentum is to get immediately into the postseason with the NBA. And then maybe you can save it. Yeah, we'll see. Again, T.C. Martin's thoughts. The T.C. Martin Show joining me here on Three Dog Thursday. I'm going to get to the last dance uh, in a moment and and what T.C.'s thoughts are. And plus, he's had Bill Cartwright on with him regularly from those Bulls championship teams of the early 90s. The man in the middle uh, that has been on with with T.C. But you, you make a great point. Um, that the NBA still has the opportunity here in June and early July and maybe even into the end of July uh, to have a meaningful, very... I mean, we should not lose sight of the fact. You do not. I'm just saying this as, as the audience. The NBA and the NBA postseason is the second biggest thing behind the NFL, and really you could say college football, so the third biggest thing, but the second biggest sport. It's bigger than Major League Baseball, obviously way bigger than the Stanley Cup playoffs and the hockey. So if they put it on in the middle of the night... Uh, we're still going to watch even in in July. It's that big, and there are that many people waiting for it. Um, so I think I think they can get away with June and July. I'm with you. Once you get to the end of July and August, and you haven't deserve, d- determined your champ, you got to start having serious thoughts about how does this affect a potential 82 game season for everybody 2020 2021. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. But they, they still, I mean, I understand too, ESPN and Turner with TNT, they want more playoff games. And that's where they can make their money back for the money they're laying out to the NBA and rights fees. I get that. But the drama, the excitement, um, you can get there quicker because we, re- we really care the most about the conference finals and the NBA finals. And if we take a month to get there, I don't, I don't know, TC. Any final thoughts on that before we talk last dance? Yeah, I, I think that you really lose momentum if you do, you know, uh, put in the you know end the regular season like you said. That's just going to draw things out even further. And think about that. That's going to extend the season another month. Yeah. And I don't know if you get it done, you know, prior to September one. If you do that, because again, there's no target date right now. No one is saying, okay, we are going to be back here. I mean, at least the Bundesliga. You know, the Bundesliga, <laughs> DJ. They're back. They're saying, hey, they're we're going to go play. Yeah. Well, and how about, and hey, and as a, and as a great reference, as a great reference, I mean, I, I, we realize we've kind of talked around it the entire time. This is understood. What's going on with the coronavirus and COVID 19, uh, with, with serious illness and death is more important than sports. We all get that. But the English Premier League, by the way, is worth as much in Europe, if not more than the NFL. And they are on hold, and they're trying to figure out how do we resume our season. And they don't even do playoffs. There are no playoff series. They're just resuming the last 10, 12 games of their season for the whatever it is, 24, 28 teams. They've got to figure that out. And oh, by the way, they've got to figure it out because they start back up in like September. The same kind of thing as the NFL timeline. 
because they're normally done in early May. Right now, they're done, and their offseason is May, June, and July. I, I read somewhere where there's $2 billion, with a B, $2 billion on the line for the English Premier League to resume. So the Bundesliga is back, but the, the English soccer is trying to figure it out, too. We're all trying to figure it out, TC. That's the bottom line. No, and exactly, and you bring up a great point, and a lot of people don't realize this, especially European soccer, but all soccer, they have the shortest off-season of anyone. you got to remember, they're playing, like in the Bundesliga, you're playing 36, you know, regular season games, and, you know, and then, you know, you've got the, the interruptions, you know, with the Champions right, Cup right, and everything right. else that goes on. Again, literally, you have less than two months of an off-season in soccer. So, yeah, I understand why... You know, they want to get playing, and the same reasons why the NBA and the NHL, they want to get playing because they have long playoff series. And like you said, they're not even, you know, concluding the – we're not even close to being done with the regular season. Yeah, so nightmare. something's got to be done, and I just fear I just fear that, that fans are going to get turned off, you know, with, with this thing. And, again, no one is telling us anything right now. Nobody knows when there's going to be a start date. I was just going to ask, and I'm, I promise I'm talking to Last Dance next, but quickly, no murmur that Las Vegas could open up uh, in June uh, and, and maybe be one of the sites, if not the site where everybody comes. You're hearing none of that right now in the desert, right? Right now, we are in a, a lockdown, and we're going through four, four phases, and we're just approaching phase one. We haven't gotten to phase one yet. And phase four is where the casinos will reopen. They will be the last ones to reopen. And initially, everyone was talking about, oh, maybe May 15th, maybe June the 1st. Well, now June the 1st looks like that is gone. And at the earliest, I mean, the earliest is maybe July 1, July 15. So, you know, that's where we're at here in Vegas. But as far as, you know, housing this, there, there are two options, you know, one in Orlando and one here in Vegas. And, you know, what I've talked about is that you can house, Everybody in two spots here, the Mandalay Bay and the MGM Grand Garden, both owned by the MGM Resorts property. And you can keep all the players, everybody in-house, the hotel rooms, they eat, they play. We're used to this with uh, the G League, the AAU tournaments and all this stuff. So you can do multiple games in both the Mandalay Bay Event Center, Convention Center area, as well as the MGM Grand Garden and the MGM uh, convention area as well too so just those two sites alone and of course you could play t-mobile arena which you can you know walk to from both of those establishments too so vegas is a is a perfect scenario which i'm sure disney world is as well too and why not do western conference over here in vegas eastern conference over there and then then at the end you know you, you we work on some traveling if we're in august or whatever for a championship series i don't know but these are the ideas that are thrown out but that's all they are right now. And I think people get all wrapped up in all of our sports. It's like Major League Baseball. They're going to play in Arizona. What are they going to do with fans, without fans, uh, uh, you know, uh, home, home fields or no home fields? They're all just ideas right now. And, and all of this is just talk and it's rhetoric and no one has a concrete plan. Yep, not yet. Not at the moment. All right, I've held it off long enough. I have not had a chance to really go over this with you on the Three Dog Thursday podcast. Uh, the the Last Dance series, fantastic. I'm no Chicago Bulls fan, as I keep saying. I always rooted for the Celtics. But this is riveting stuff. It's great stuff. And I want your feelings on what you've seen and then morph it into your conversations that you've been having with Bill Cartwright that, again, the fans can go find those full-length conversations on your site on tcmartinshow.com. But what do you think, watching this and then getting to talk to Bill regularly? Okay, so there's two sides to this thing. First of all, you know, it is 
put together very well. It's very enjoyable, and especially in these times, you know, it's it's it is riveting television. Would it be so much if we had everything else going on in the world and they were going to air this like they originally planned after the NBA Finals? Um, in my opinion, they have taken a ten-part episode, which is great. Okay. But you're taking a story that could be condensed into 90 minutes to two hours and done this way. So it is a little bit much. It's a little bit overkill, uh, you know, with a lot of the backstories. I know a lot of fans are upset the way the documentary is is being edited and, and put out there, and, and, you know, going back and forth from 98 to 91, 98 to the 93 season, et cetera, et cetera. So I think from the fans' perspective, okay, you love this because you're getting unabated access that a fan could never get. We're talking about the fans who sit in the stands, wear the Bulls jerseys, and they are for the first time ever, especially back in those days, you never had these type of shows. And as you know, you know, the first ones to do it right was HBO when, you know, they did the, the football situation that, that they that they did, you know, with the Baltimore Ravens. and Right, and, uh, uh, hard, hard knocks, knocks. hard knocks, right. So that, that's the first time we saw this. First time we saw that. So, you know, back in these days, fans never got a chance to go back and see Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Bill Carter, all these guys in the locker room, see how they travel on planes, how they react with each other, you know, as they get ready to take the floor uh, or in hotel rooms. So that, I think, is beautiful from a fan's perspective. But from a player's perspective, especially a guy like Bill Cartwright and these other guys, Craig Hodges has been very vocal. Bill has been very vocal on my show. They can't stand it because there's the old etiquette. And you're a wrestling guy, too, kayfabe. What happens back in that locker room is supposed to stay in that locker room. <laughs> and, you know, cameras should not be allowed back there. And, and, and players are, are now, you know, they're, they're miffed. Guys that were on this team are a little bit miffed hearing Jordan say the things that he said because they weren't aware of that before. And then just having all of that access. All of these guys at that time, they knew that the camera crew was there. But it's very funny, okay, when you go back and you look at the – before they even launched this, the whole precedent was the last dance. We have uh, all access, uh, all access granted to us for the 97-98 season by Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. So when you heard that statement a couple months ago, it led you to believe that Michael's going to be the forefront of this, and Michael's going to have a lot of say of, 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 of course of what we're going to see here. Of course, and a lot of the players are are a little upset that it's all about Michael. And to a man, and I think it's starting to come out, but, you know, we've known this for a long time. And, you know, my relationship with Bill Cartwright goes back, you know, 20 years. Michael Jordan was never a liked guy by his teammates. He was tolerated because of his uh, amazing talent. But Michael Jordan was never a leader. Michael Jordan was never a good teammate. Michael Jordan, and hopefully this comes out this week when we watch episodes 7 and 8 and then 9 and 10, Michael Jordan, and there are players that feel this way, they quit on them. After that third championship, he quit. He went to go play baseball. And that team, that, that could have been the fourth in a row with Tony Kukoc there now, that could have been, those players believe that could have been the best Bulls team of all time. Mm. Okay, could have had the best record. And so they feel that Michael quit on them. And it'll be interesting to see how that is portrayed. Right. Because when this all went down, there were guys that said, you're going to do what? You're going to play baseball? You suck at baseball. Are you kidding me? And so there's that factor. So if you're a player, you despise what you're seeing, especially if you're a Chicago Bull player. You despise it. Even if you're Scottie Pippen, who has shown in a pretty good light, okay, but even the guys like Jeb Buechler and, you know, 
you know, John Paxson and this and that. I mean, they're not happy with this. And all these guys are talking to each other right now. But from the fans' perspective, you're right. It, it looks good. It's riveting. And, you know, for us media guys, we're kind of in the middle, at least I am, for spending time and covering the teams and being behind the, you know, the scenes locker room. We see this stuff. But there is a part of this that I feel is for the media, you know, they should not be sharing, you know, with the public. And you know just as well as I do. You, there's a fine line there. That's how you gain players and coaches and general managers and front office people's trust. That's how you gain it. So, you know, for me, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm enjoying it, but I see the player side. I see the fan side. Well, all right. Uh, all, all well said on that. The only thing that I would uh, follow up with you on is that the, the whole dynamic was set into motion of we don't want Phil Jackson to coach beyond this year. And Jackson used the mantra of the last dance. And so uh, that, I mean, that was a situation in turmoil, too, because you had Scottie Pippen injured at the beginning of that 97-98 season. He's now unhappy with his contract and not rushing back. You had all kinds of subplots, is my point. And so to see how all of that goes together and uh, and watch it unfold, I love that. And so for two or three points, Mike, Michael Jordan is the iconic player of the 1990s. He took the, he took the torch from Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and made the NBA into a multi-billion dollar uh, entity at that point. Uh, Magic and Bird had brought it to the forefront and got it on the verge. So, so uh, all the present day players for certain owe him for the amount, the ungodly amount of money that they all make. Uh, that's with it. I think it's also fair too that this this documentary has been in mothballs for twenty years. Michael would never authorize for it to come out for twenty plus years. So a lot of this is gone past water on the bridge. Uh, water on the bridge. It's not fresh, etc. Uh, now that it is being brought out. So. I mean, it's, for example, it's not like it, it's a documentary that came out in 2001. Uh, I mean, it's, it's been a while. It's been a generation, basically, for all this. So those are my thoughts uh, as a follow-up. And I know that, that players often talk about what goes in the locker room and stays in the locker room. But then again, those same players go and write a book or go and give interviews and go and talk about locker room stories and talk about things that happened on their own anyway or get paid to do it's it true. at engagements. And in right. this case, Michael's got the hammer. Michael's got the video. Michael's got the stuff and the rights to it and... Uh, there we go uh, on that front. So I encourage the audience again, and, p- and please plug away the Bill Cartwright interviews. You've got him on basically every week talking about what we just saw, right, on the T.C. Martin Show and archived on your website, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, so visit with Bill usually on, on Mondays uh, You know, after those episodes play. He gives us his thoughts, and then it's a, it's a good way to really compare you know, what we're seeing, and then he takes us back to, okay, what are we seeing uh, here that maybe the, the cameras w- happen when they're off and just to have them elaborate on, on, on those situations and everything as well too. And uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it's some really good stuff. It's uh, and again, you know, when I talked to bill before, you know, coming on, I said, Hey, you know, people are going to want to hear uh, your take on this and, you know, for you to really open up and he's done a great job of, of opening up with this and not being, you know, shy about any type of, uh, you know, um, you know, 
reverberation or recourse that they could come this way. And then there have been other players as well, too. So, and since this, you know, he's been doing other shows nationally as well, too, sure. in Chicago and San Francisco and L.A. And, and other things, you know, because people would you know want to hear about this. But, yeah, he's on with uh, me every week. And, again, longtime friend. So uh, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm happy that he's sharing, you know, his thoughts with us on this. And, and honestly, TJ, he the only reason he's watching this, and he said before this even came out, he goes, you know, I don't want to watch this. He remembers being interviewed a year or so ago and, he goes, I, I don't want to watch it because I lived it. And for him, and he's very serious, he does understand why it's so important. And for one of the factors that you just brought up, it was 25 years ago. <laughs> you know, why does anybody care about this? And he doesn't understand the public's infatuation with this. And, you know, it was a media circus back then. And, you know, it, it is what it is. I'll tell you, but, I'll tell uh, you the two things. I'll tell you the two, the two things that draw us to it is the Bulls were so dominant, so wildly successful, and he was such a dominant player. And this was the season where it all came apart, as you said in your comments, where Phil Jackson wasn't welcome back. And Michael Jordan said, see you later. I'm retiring. And Scottie Pippen was eventually gone as well uh, to play for other teams. It, it all came apart. And so... That's the intrigue. That's the hook on what's what's the behind the scenes on why that happened from the – I get it. I get all of it. And, again, they've got four more episodes to run, two more this week at the time we're taping and two and more following week. And I will say this, just yeah. to add the point that we touched on in the beginning, I will say that it is beautifully produced. It is. They're they doing a great job with that. three and a half years. Three and a half years, T.C. Martin. I mean, we, we think about how long a project that is a month – or three months, how much you have to dedicate to it, or somebody making a movie that's taking six months or a year to make a movie, three and a half years to make essentially five two-hour movies here, or or roughly uh, probably about 100 minutes with the commercials. Uh, of these different ones. And one more. I mean, if I hear anybody else, I'm not saying you said this, but you re- you were kind of repeating it. For anybody that says it's tough to keep up with, my God, what do they have to do leading you by the hand? It's on the screen that we're going back in time from 1998 to 1984, or we're going back in time from 98 to 91, and it directly relates to what they're talking about in this episode. It ain't hard, the Southern phrase, TC. This ain't complicated. It ain't hard to just watch Watch on the screen and see what they're what they're doing. I mean, a perfect example uh, was the other night when they went back in time to 1984 and the shoe deal with Nike. And I knew a little bit about the story, but I didn't know the David Falk angle uh, that Adidas was their choice because he had worked with Adidas, David Falk, the agent, with Arthur Ashe and the tennis players. And Michael Jordan was this close. I know it's a podcast and nobody can see me. He was this close to doing a deal with Adidas. And how, oh my Lord, how the world would have been different if he doesn't sign with the four letters N-I-K-E and would N-I-K-E even be a factor would Nike even be a factor in 2020 had he not done so so I think those are all fascinating things but my point is, it's not hard to keep up with that we're going back at, they, they got TC they got it right on the screen babe they got it right there with the years <laughs> no I agree with you but 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 that is one of the comments that you hear from from people that are watching well I don't know why they're doing that but you're it's no different than you're watching a movie or one of your regular you know TV series you know they're going back in time this flashback yep. so again you can follow it you know very easily and I agree with you and you know back to the shoe comment exactly and it, 
uh, those that are old, uh, were old enough to remember those days. Wayne Converse is king, and Converse had a horrible shoe. They had a crappy shoe. Did okay? you ever, Adidas, by the way, you know, the did you German ever company, own the, the weapons? The Bundesliga again. Did you ever did, own the Converse weapon? Because I did. I own the Converse oh. weapons, the green ones like Larry yeah. Bird. Did you own yes, the weapons? Yes, yes, I did. Yes, I did. And I go back old school, old school with the with the with the. Uh, you know, the Chuck Connors ones or whatever, you know, I mean, I'll go back to that, but forget, I never, never an LA gear type of guy. Forget all that. Forget the pro kids and all that stuff. But yes, the, 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 the Nike, Nike was non-existent at yeah. that time. Plain and simple. So no, he was, uh, you know, he, that was him. It was him and David. And Fox, it was you know, his like mother. Said, it was his that. mother who said, you're going to take the yeah. meeting with them out of courtesy to go see what they have to say. They've invited you. We're going out there. That's just classic from that. This guy's classic as well. You better listen to Mama. We got Mother's Day coming. You better listen to Mama. Uh, Plug away on how we find all your stuff in Vegas, on the website, on your social media. Go ahead. All right. Yeah, everything's up there. Uh, TCMartinShow.com, five days a week here in Vegas. You can listen live at 2 o'clock Pacific time. Uh, again, you know, you can get all of the, the, the past uh, interviews, the past shows are all up there. We have a featured interview that's up there uh, daily as well, too. Currently, we have Adrian Dantley's uh, interview that is up there. Had him on this week, the uh, Basketball Hall of Famer. And again, he was featured in a couple episodes uh, with the Bad Boys of the Detroit Pistons. He talks about the last dance and his amazing career. So that was great. And again, Bill Cartwright every week uh, giving his thoughts and his you know, recap of the last dance. So uh, yeah, anytime, go to the website, tcmartinshow.com. Love it. Follow this man at tcmartin21 on Twitter as well. Give him a follow for all things Vegas. I love getting to chop it up with you. Thank you for spending some time talking about resumption of the NBA, the last dance, and much more. I, I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you. You got it, brother. Good talking with you anytime, anywhere. Let's get back to some sports. Oh, I am all about that. And that'll do it for Three Dog Thursday. My thanks to Brian Edwards all the way back at the beginning of the show, Vegas Insider, MajorWager.com. And also the insight from Chip Namius, the former longtime NFL PR man who was with the Miami Dolphins and the Don Shula stories. Great stuff. And T.C. Martin with me most recently. I'm merely T.J. Reeves. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, Go and find us on Spreaker, uh, whether you found us through a social media link or sportsgamblingpodcast.com. Again, subscribe to the show and uh, rate us, review us, but the show comes automatically to you if you subscribe. For now, we're done. We hopefully get games back soon. We got UFC soon. We got NASCAR soon, some golf. Let's get to the hoops, the hockey, and much more. Thank you for being with us on Three Dog Thursday. Bye.